He is faithful. Amen. And well, thank you for joining us for part two of a brand new series called Pages of Life. We are taking 15 of the Psalms and we're walking through those and uh, seeing how that the Lord instructs the pilgrim path of the modern day Christian in comparison to how he did with uh, previous generations. Uh, the Ecclesiastes writer says that uh, there's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be. And so I think that we can glean much from going back to these Old Testament books and looking at uh, the application for our real day and time right now. It has been said that the book of Psalms, this collection of hymns, poems, and prayers, had become the prayer book and the hymn book of Jesus and his disciples. In fact, no other book was quoted more often in the New Testament uh, than the book of Psalms. And so we want to look at the Psalms this morning, what we call the songs of ascent or ascending upward, going to the city of God. These songs of ascent were a pilgrimage that they would take several times a year as their journey to Jerusalem in such a way to uh, worship God uh, for the annual feasts that were being observed in Jerusalem. And there was no way to get to the city of Jerusalem without going uphill because it was at the peak of a summit. It was at the top of the mountain. And so uh, they would have in their eye line or in their sight this great city as they would start to sing and rehearse to God uh, what was in their heart. And I think that that's important for us is that we uh, develop a, a routine and we develop a discipline of sharing with God what's in our heart, not just keeping it on our mind, not just feeling as though we have to conceal it, but we share with God what is on our heart. And each one of these songs uh, invokes a, a prayerful experience that ends with a worship at the uh, conclusion. Psalm 121, I want to read to you out of the Message Bible this morning. There's a couple of words that I think just really appropriately highlight the text this morning. Uh, Psalm 121, they'll have it on the screen there for you. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep. Not on your life. Israel's guardian will never doze or sleep. God's your guardian. Right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. Psalm 121. This is a psalm about the providence of God, about God's care and protection for his people. But I have a question for you. What do you do when you experience something that is at odds with Scripture? What do you do when you encounter an experience that you just look at the Scripture and you say, you know what, that Scripture is not really speaking to my experience. When looking at the providence of God, we sometimes question, we, we wonder in ourselves, uh, is, is there really an application of God's Word for what I'm currently dealing with? It appears that sometimes what we deal with and what we struggle, it doesn't necessarily line up with the Scripture. And I say that, that what we must do is every time that our experience or our circumstance is in conflict with God's Word, we must subject ourselves again and again to God's Word. God's Word is truth. His Word is established in heaven forever and ever. Amen. And so we must subject that experience to the Word of God. So Psalm 121, a psalm of God's providence. The first question is, what happens to us, or what do we do when our experience is at odds with his word? But number two is, if you were wrong about something really important, if you were, 
you truly believed wrong, thought wrong, understood wrong, perceived wrong, would you want to know? I would venture to say most people, if they truly were wrong about something very important that they would like to know, they would want to have uh, some type of, of a, a correction course on this and get to the pathway of learning it the right way. This is what we find here in this psalm. And so there have been a few occasions where um, finding out I was wrong was actually a relief. You, you ever been there? You know, sometimes because someone doesn't wave at you or because they haven't uh, talked to you for a while or, or maybe they didn't hit the like on, on the social media post, you get the notion that they're mad at you. But then you find out later that they really just never saw that post or they didn't see you in passing or they had a, a busy day and they, they really didn't ignore it. And so what happens is we get relieved sometimes when we find out, oh, I was wrong. I had a wrong perception about that. I had a wrong notion that that is what was going on. There have been a couple of times where, in fact, many times I've been glad to be wrong in life. I just had an experience recently where um, I ventured out on my own to, to, to do a little home project. Any of you not very handymen do some home projects every now and then? It can get you in trouble. But I, I got some news for you. YouTube will show you how to do anything. You can fix your own car, build your own house, make your own food. YouTube has it all, right? So I decided that we were going to replace the chandelier that is over our kitchen table. And uh, in order to do that, you know, there's some, some electrical that has to be done. And so I figured, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to go on YouTube. And they had this great video of three easy steps to replace this light. So I go to the store, I buy the light. And the very first step is they said, and they stress this, make sure you go to the fuse box and turn off the electric to that light. Okay, that was key. So I got up there, I'm on this ladder, and I'm taking out these these. Uh, wire nuts and I take all these wires out and they, they okay put the right colors with the right ones and I am following the video really specifically I go back to the panel box I turn it on and you know what the light actually turned on nothing burned down it's still working right now that's the good news the bad news is the light wasn't centered over the table now I just got off the, the ladder and I just moved the table it's centered but my wife wasn't so inclined to let it happen that way. She said, no, 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 no. The table goes here. You have to bring the light over there. And I'm studying this. I'm looking at this. How am I going to get that light over there? Well, go back to the hardware store and they say, oh, that's easy. There's a chain. You just buy this little hook. You can put that hook right up in there. There's a, there's a little a spring that opens up this clip and it'll just go right in your drywall. You'll never see the hole. Nothing. You know how easy they make it sound in the hardware store. You know, when you go to the hardware store, you ask them where this and so, they say, yeah, down aisle 15, take a right over to the left. And say, no, show me where it is. Like, walk me to this, right? So this easy, easy thing, I get up there, I puncture the hole in the ceiling, I put that little uh, hook in there, and I'm holding the light just to make sure, and as soon as I let go of the light, the light falls and I catch it. And so I push it back up there again, and it's still, it, for whatever reason, that spring is not working. I don't know what's happening and my wife's on the floor and Holly says maybe you're doing it wrong you want to get up on this ladder and look and hold it no okay honey well, how am I doing it wrong well she said maybe if you turn the spring the other direction maybe if you thread it the other direction what was happening is every time I'm pushing up there it's just falling right down because it wasn't springing in the right direction and so when I turned it around it sprung that light is hold for two months it's, it's held right there okay it's, it's in good shape now I was so glad that it was pointed out to me I was doing that wrong. I wasn't glad at the source who pointed it out, but I was glad that 
I was wrong because it meant I didn't have to hire a professional. It meant that I wasn't going to have a, a bad install job, and it meant that we were going to have the project completed. There are times in which you are really relieved when you are wrong about something. That's what Psalm 121 is all about, is a person who on this Christian pilgrimage, on this journey, realizes maybe, just perhaps, I have been looking at this all the wrong way. Perhaps we have misread people's motives. We have uh, heard their words in such a way that we were wrong. We have not spoken things that we should have spoken and we have been perceived wrong or impressions or vibes that have given. We can be wrong. And it's good when we acknowledge that and when we see that. Psalm 121 is a whisper. It's just whispering to us that we have been wrong about God's providence in our lives. It's revealing to us the way really to walk through the pages of life. But it sets up on the opposite side of Psalm 120, which I shared with you last week, that paves the path for us to enter into this journey, which is through the route of repentance or changing our mind. Repentance means to get a mind change, to think differently than you were thinking and have a turnaround in your life as a result. Eugene Peterson says this, For many, the first great surprise of the Christian life is in the form of troubles that we meet. Listen, if someone told you that all you need to do to solve all your problems in life is say yes to Jesus, come to church every Sunday, read your Bible once a day, do your prayers, give to the church and serve, and your life will be happy, they didn't tell you all the truth. Because the reality is we will go through tribulation, trials, and troubles. But we should be of good cheer because Jesus has already overcome the world. And many times our surprise is that we said yes to Jesus. We did all the right Christianly things. We checked all the boxes. Why then am I in trouble? Why then is it seeming as though my life is harder as I started serving God, as I gave up that addiction, as I laid down those pills? Why is it now that it seems like it's harder for me once I've laid down all of my vices to serve God? I feel like I am in a battle all the time. And this is the big surprise that those of us experienced who thought that just saying yes to God was going to solve all of our problems. And this is the instruction in Psalm 121 that the psalmist is trying to tell us, that there are three possibilities of harm along this journey. The first one is that it says, your guardian God will not allow you to stumble. Now, it's, it's hard to think that we would never stumble, we would never lose footing, we would never lose our step. But here is the promise, is that when we go through difficult times, if we're walking up a mountain and there are lots of rocks in the area, it's a pretty good probability that you're going to turn your ankle, you're going to stumble, you're going to, to maybe uh, just get off step a little bit. It's a good possibility. But he says that your guardian God will not allow you to lose your footing, as one translation says, lose your proper footing. Having the proper footing in life is very, very important. Being established upon the right principles for life and for living, for looking through the lens of life through God's word. I, I, I have my copy down there on the, on the front. Reach, reach back for it. Having yourself established in the footing of experiencing God through his word, letting God's word read you as you read the word of God. That is getting proper footing in your life. The great uh, basketball coach, John Wooten, many uh, uh, players would want to play for Wooten because of his great success on the court, his uh, success on the sidelines recruiting, getting players to come in. And so 
uh, when, when young recruits would come in, they would expect that they're going to be sitting at the feet of the master. They're going to train from the best, and they have an opportunity then to go pro because of their coach. And so they're just waiting on that first practice. Okay, show us what we're going to do. How, how can we become the best basketball players ever? And you know, when Wooten would bring in a brand new team of recruits, he would sit them down, and they wouldn't do dribbling drills. They wouldn't do conditioning. He wouldn't show them the best form for free throws or how to get out to the three-point line or run plays. You know the very first thing that he would do with all of his brand-new recruits? He would sit them down on the bench. He would pull out a pair of socks, and he would say, Gentlemen, these are socks, and this is how you put them on. And he would show them and put on a sock. He'd say, Gentlemen, these are your shoes, and this is how you properly put on your shoes. These are your laces, and this is how you properly lace up your shoes. Now, next practice, we can get to playing some basketball. What was he illustrating there? That the fundamentals are so important that you have to get your footing established. You have to have the right type of footing to get on the right path of life because you can be the best three-point player You can be the best free throw shooter. You can be the best one running up and down the court. But if you have blisters from from your heel to your toes, you will never take the court. Why? Because you never took time to learn the basics, the fundamentals of just simply putting on your socks and your shoes in the right manner. If we get all of the service things, we can check off the box and we invite people to, to church and we do all those great things, but we don't have the footing in the word of God in a relationship personally with the Holy Spirit in our time of prayer and our time of consecration, then none of the other stuff really matters. And he's saying your great guardian God will not allow you to stumble on this pathway. The next danger is sunstroke. Sunstroke is when you have too much exposure to the elements on the outside, obviously. Now, we have a great remedy for this in our day and age. We have sunscreen, and they they have uh, all kinds of of ways to to deflect the the sun through different clothing you can put on, through lotions and things like that. But this is referring to those outside elements, those things which continue to hound down on you and many times you don't even realize just how much sun that you're actually getting you ever been outside on a beautiful day and you just want to go and run and play and you want to go and mow the grass and get outside and enjoy the weather but before long you start feeling a little bit warm on your skin you start itching a little bit and you realize oh my goodness I've been out here just a little bit too long I've been exposed in these elements for too long without the proper sunscreen without the proper cover-up And what happens is that we don't feel it initially, but the next day we start now regretting that we didn't have the right type of sunscreen or the right protection. In this world, as we are pilgrims passing on this Christian journey, this world has all kinds of elements that are beating down on us day by day. And many times we don't even realize the pressures that we're under. We don't even maybe take stock of the the influences that are on us. But over time, we will realize, we'll say, wait a minute, I feel a little itch to my skin. I feel maybe just a little bit burned. I'm not as comfortable in this environment as maybe I used to be with the proper application of the right lotions. And so this is speaking about being reapplied through the word of God and through the walk with the Lord with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing oil was given and used to anoint or to rub those coming to service to the Lord. And so there are times when we have to be in the presence of God that we get rubbed by his spirit. The anointing comes upon us and it covers our lives and it shields us from sunstroke. 
So we don't stroke out over the outside elements, the things that are all the time beating down on us, that are coming in on us. This is how we apply as we attend uh, small fellowships and large gatherings unto the Lord. We read the word of God. We read devotional uh, uplifting things. We praise God. We fellowship. We serve. We give. And this all happens in the context of community. It all happens in the context of a local body of believers like this and like many others that are gathering on a Sunday morning. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even so much more as we see the day approaching. It's important that we have one another so that we can help cover each other from those outside elements and our guardian God who guards us from sunstroke. But then the next one, this one, I, I didn't quite get as much. And your guardian God will protect you from moonstroke. Now, sunstroke I get. I get stumbling on the, the path as a, a stone turns over, but moonstroke, how many have ever heard of moonstroke? You guys have all heard of Moonstroke. How many, how many have, have never heard of Moonstroke? Yeah, that's what I thought. I hadn't either. I had to look up. Did I ask that question wrong? Just rewind that in the tape. We'll just take that out. I hadn't heard of Moonstroke either. And I'm thinking, what is Moonstroke? So I started looking up what Moonstroke is. Here's the essence of Moonstroke. It is that things on the outside tend to get worse at nighttime. Those of you that recently have gone through this, this nasty bout with this flu and all these things are going around, you know how you can start feeling just a little bit better during the daytime? Hey, I think I'll get up and I'll go do this. I'm feeling pretty good. But just as soon as night falls, what happens? Oh, I don't feel good. I'm, I'm feeling all the symptoms again. Or, or as soon as the, the, you fall asleep and then you wake up at night and you just feel worse about it. You take a person who's just a little bit disenchanted at daytime and at night they get really lonely. You take a problem during the daytime and you can see clearly what's happening out there in the problem during the day, but when the night falls, now all of a sudden it's a game changer and nighttime brings with it a whole host of other problems that I had not considered during the daytime when I could clearly see what was happening in my outer life. Now my inner life on the nighttime starts to play with me a little bit, starts to mess with my mind. And, and there's actually an indication in Moonstroke of, of lunacy, where they're kind of out of their mind a little bit. Moonstroke is that, that sense that you can just kind of get out of your wits just a little bit. It is this inner life that battles us at the nighttime. And Moonstroke is what God wants to guard us against. He wants to guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He doesn't want us to have to be all alone to the point where the moonstroke overtakes us because the nighttime has kept us up. The psalmist seems to indicate that God, being your guardian and your shield, if you just quickly read this, would indicate that as Christians, we don't have to worry about any of this because God takes care of everything. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my own personal experience has been that God seems to not take care of absolutely everything. There are times when it seems like things are just falling apart, and I want to say, God, where are you at? But the psalmist is saying, but God's your guardian, but God's your strength, but God's your provider. He's never going to let any of this happen to you. And if we just simply cursory read this, we'll think, well, I must not be saved. I must not be a Christian because according to the Psalms, God won't let me stumble. God won't let me fall. 
I must somehow be on the wrong side of God because I feel like I'm stumbling, I feel like I'm falling, I've been burnt by the sun, and I've got moonstroke. Why is my experience so different from the psalm? And here's where the psalmist wants to point out that we're wrong. We're wrong to think that we're never going to encounter these things because he starts out and he says, where does my help come from? Does my help come from the mountains? The mountains were those high and lofty places. The mountains were the places of strength and security where battle armies would hide behind a mountain so that the foreign invaders could not find them. The mountains were where they would retreat up to so they could get the high ground on the enemy and they would have an opportunity to barrage them as they're coming up the mountain. The mountains were the places of security. Now, you and I don't look at mountains the same way today. We look at mountains for their beauty, for their majesty, for the landscape that they provide. But in this day, a mountain was a high place. It was a strong place. It was a tower of refuge. And so the psalmist says, do I look to the mountains, the strong places for my help? Mountains in our lives may be that we have amassed a mountain of security through our savings, through our insurance, through our job security, through the neighborhood we live in, through the fellowships that we're, we're part of, through the people that we know. We feel very comfortable with these mountains that we build for security. But here's the psalmist. He's saying, you're wrong if you think that you can look to the mountains for your help. And then he corrects him his own self in the first verse. He says, I look to the Lord. From there comes my help. So regardless of whether I did stumble and skin my knee, whether I did get a little bit of extra sun on my skin, or my mind is feeling pressed in at night and my body isn't feeling good because of the evening, my guardian God has promised that I can trust in him. It's another reason why we sing today, great is your faithfulness, because God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. High places in this day and age that the psalm was written were places that pagans would go to worship their gods as well as the Jewish people would worship their gods. High places were where they could go and they could get a remedy, a concoction, something to take the edge off, something to make them feel a little bit better. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, refers to it. He says in verse uh, 23 of chapter 3, truly in vain salvation is hoped for from the hills. It's not in the other places of worship that you can get. And from the multitude of mountains, truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel, or we could say the salvation of God's people. And this is the lesson of 121. It is not the absence of problems for the traveler of God. For you see, we, you and I, are still subjected to the same types of tribulations and trials and turmoils and tests as those that are walking in the world. We're still tested and, and, and tried. We're still tempted to go our own way and do our own thing. It's not the absence of troubles but it is rather having a deep trust that none of those troubles can separate us from a loving Father. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Look, look at this. It starts out in this verse and says, who? That is a person. When, when you read that who, there's probably someone that comes to mind who is either a nemesis or a uh, instigator or a problem maker 
a black sheep, an outlaw, someone in your family or in your life that you're thinking, yeah, if anybody could separate me, that person, that's the who. So the Bible writers aren't ignorant to the fact that we have relational issues with people. They're, they're all, the, all the time writings of that. But quickly, the Bible writers transition from the who because we know that our, our battle is not with people, right? We battle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and, and heavenly hosts of high places. So quickly, he gets off the who, and then he, trans- he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution? How about famine? How about not having enough to eat? How about nakedness, not enough clothes to wear, or peril or sword? How about any of that? Does any of those things cause you to have lack of faith in God, lack of trust? Does any of those things separate you from the love of Christ? Verse 37 says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all of those things that were just read, we are more than conquerors through who? Through Christ who loved us. So let's separate. It's not people that are our problem. We may have things that seem to be the problem, but really our hope and our help comes from the Lord. Look at the the last part of this. He he goes down and breaks it up. He says, for I am persuaded. You know what being persuaded is? It means that you have thoroughly weighed the matter and you have found the decision. You have put yourself on one side or another. There's There's a common phrase that says this, a man convinced against his will is a man unconvinced still. You're not going to arm twist somebody into believing what Jesus did for them. If you do, then they're going to walk away from you. They're going to forget everything you said. It's not going to be any good. You need to allow, in your witnessing, in your, in your preaching, your testifying, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin and convince them of righteousness. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. You and I are just witnesses. We just tell people the good news. Not everyone's going to accept it. You just go on and you tell another. You tell another. But he says this. I am persuaded, verse 38, that means I have thoroughly weighed all options and I am convinced. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present. And then he goes on and says, nor even things to come. So nothing that I'm facing now and nothing that I'm going to face in the future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Love this. Shall be able to separate us. Now, he transitions from himself to us. Everybody say us. It's talking about me. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing is going to separate you from Christ Jesus. Three times in this psalm, God is mentioned, but eight times guardian is talked about. So God's faithfulness is true. This is a psalm of the providence of God. And here's what his providence means. You ready? You don't journey alone. His providence doesn't mean that you're never going to have trouble. His providence doesn't mean you won't slip every now and then. But it means you will never be alone. I like this quote from Peterson. He says, All the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside nor can the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets inside us. Here's the key. Just as a ship was made to sail on the waters and is impenetrable from sinking until water 
would overtake it on the inside. So you and I were made and fashioned and formed as believers in Christ to tread on serpents and scorpions. And we cannot be sunk from this pilgrimage we're on unless we allow those problems to get on the inside and gnaw and eat at us and take us down. If you're not a Christ follower in this room, you may feel at times as though the world is offering you too much and it's going to take you out. And here's the reason, is that it is by the Spirit of Christ, it's by having an invitation of the Lord to come into your life that all of those things on the outside which get in us get expelled. They get cast out of our minds, they get cast out of the inner life of us because we replace them with the things that God wants in there, namely God himself, his word, fellowshipping with other people. These are the ways in which we cast out all of the problems that get on the inside of us. 2020 has been declared a year of prayer here at New Freedom Church. And this Psalm 121 is a providence psalm to God's faithfulness, but it is a responsibility for us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer says this, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, God, I recognize that in my world there will be tests, there will be temptations. I recognize in my world that there is evil out there that could befall me, things that could harm me or my family. And my prayer, God, is that you would protect and guard me from that and that I would not succumb to those pressures or succumb to that. Many times we look at our journey and we think that coming together on Sunday mornings, this is the great glorious time to, to have you know, an uplift. It's our spiritual fueling station. And I think all that's good about church, that, that, that's positive. We should, we should absolutely leave here feeling better than the way we came in. But then we get past Sunday and we think, well, the rest of my days are just kind of mundane. Until church day again, I guess I just kind of sink into some ritual or some routine or I guess that, that maybe I'm just not feeling as spiritual on Monday or Tuesday as I was on Sunday. We feel like there's just two options. It's either height of, of spiritual experience or it's down just mundane normal. But there's actually a third option. And the third option is found here, that you don't walk this road alone. That God goes with you every step of the way. That every single day you can look to the Lord from where comes your help. Your help doesn't come from mountains. It doesn't come from hills. It doesn't come from military strength. It doesn't come from the money you've saved or the friends that you have. Your help comes from the Lord. So every single day I can get through what I'm dealing with because my help comes from God, because I'm not relying on myself. We live in a time of self-made remedies. We self-medicate for just about everything. It's so easy to go to the drugstore and to find something over the counter to treat our symptoms. We have journals of medicine and we have people that we consult and it's fine to get advice and, and you know take people's uh, best practices, all that's fine. Except for when we're prescribing and self-medicating ourselves against a spiritual need. Physical things, yeah, I can take an aspirin for the pain. But when it comes to a spiritual pain, when it comes to journeying this life alone, I need my help to come from the Lord. 
And you and I, many times in our self-prescribing, are doing what people of a bygone era would do when they would travel around the, they would, they would follow around the traveling caravan and there'd be a salesman there that would have snake oil and say, hey, if you just take some of this, it'll ail all your pain. Anything that ails you, it will remedy anything that hurts you. See, we've got something much better than that. We have the balm of Gilead. We have Jesus, the precious rose of Sharon. We have the bright and morning star. We don't have to settle for something second rate. We have the best. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this place today and you're far from God and you, you say, Pastor, I don't know that joy you're talking about. I don't know that help you're, you're referring to on this Christian journey. I've not been on that journey. You're journeying somewhere, I can assure you. You're heading somewhere. Perhaps today you wanna make that change and you wanna turn, you wanna turn your pathway and your life over to God. You can do that today. You can say yes to Jesus. This could be your day. This could be the day of decision. The day that you say your life will change forever because of what Jesus did at the cross. This can be, this can be yours. Maybe you're here today and you're just feeling that, that life is just kind of ho-hum. That you're just really not sure where to go for help. But today you can be assured that you can go to the Lord for your help. Your help doesn't come from mountains. Your help comes from God. Maybe you're burdened today with recent news of something that has happened to you or a loved one. and You just want to bring that to God because you know you can't solve it yourself. This is the time to lay it all down. This is the time that you put your burdens before the Lord. I'm going to pray a prayer. If anything that I said applies to you, I just want you to acknowledge it by praying this prayer with me. This is a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of God for His thankfulness his faithfulness, thanking him for his faithfulness. It's simple. Pray it with me. Dear God, I know you're faithful. Even when I'm faithless, I come to you today and surrender. I can't take it on my own anymore. I turn over to you my burdens. I turn over to you my cares. I don't want to self-medicate I want you, that precious balm of Gilead. I want you, Jesus, to be my Lord, to be my master, my great guardian God. And I give to you my life, my concern, and all of my cares. They're yours. I lay them down in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, let's all stand together to give you an opportunity as we close that you can greet someone you've not yet seen this morning. If uh, you're new around here, we have a gift for you at the information desk. Also, we want to uh, inform you that in the rear of the sanctuary, there is a place that you can pick up a decision book. If you uh, said yes to Jesus today, we have a gift for you. We'd love to, to give you that. And we also have communion that is available up back there every single Sunday. If you uh, would like to, to uh, celebrate the Eucharist and the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, that is available for you. Greet someone, tell them it's good to see them. We'll see you back here next week. God bless.